All right, this bonus episode on Rocketship.fm, it's going to get a little bit uh, academic, if you will. And I think it's pretty fitting considering how Rocketship.fm started and in a way where it's heading. Oh, yeah. How do you mean? All right. Well, you started Rocketship.fm originally as a way for entrepreneurs to learn through interviews that you conducted with, you know, the most successful entrepreneurs around the world by kind of summarizing that, right? Yeah, that's true. It, It was meant to be a podcast that people could listen to and, well, figure out how to build a rocket ship for their own one day. And obviously a lot's changed over the years. I joined rocket ship a few years ago as a co-host and I don't know, it was like a few hundred episodes ago or whatever the heck it was. (laughs) And, and now, you know, our format's different. We have a seasonal format each season. We, we tell some amazing stories that would be relevant to entrepreneurs and product people. We go in a lot of different directions, uh, new directions every season, but not every episode's necessarily meant to like instruct or teach, right? True, true. I mean, hey, we sure hope that the stories we're telling to entrepreneurs and product people give them at least a bit of inspiration. But you're right. We we, we don't always teach the, the hard skills, if you will. Well, for today's episode, I thought we could go a little old school. I thought we could feature somebody that actually does kind of take the pulpit, so to speak, and, and share his knowledge of what it takes to be a great product person. Old school. All right. I can do old school. And I thought that this guest would actually be the perfect person because, well, Rocket Ship listeners, they're going to hear a lot more from him in the future and more on that a little bit later. All right. Well, I guess there's only one thing left to do, and that's roll the intro and get started. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. 
Visit HackerOne.com slash AI-Safety-Security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI-Safety-Security. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today Okay, so kicking it old school today we are. Yes, we're going to get a little instructive here. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of teaching, or, or rather, Christian Idioti is going to be doing a little bit of teaching. That's right. You may remember Christian from our workplace confessional season. Christian is a partner at the Silicon Valley Product Group, where he acts as an advisor, executive coach, and consultant to other product leaders. One of his partners, Marty Kagan, is really well known in the product community too, and he's written some of the most recommended product books out there, like in inspired and empowered. And I actually wouldn't be too surprised to see Christian work on a book of his own at some point soon. And I'll, I'll let a little cat out of the bag here. <laughs> Christian is going to be working with us at Rocket Ship to bring to life a few bonus episodes coming up in the future uh, after our next season and maybe before the next season that's currently in the work. So consider this a little bit of a reintroduction to Christian. We're going to rewind back to the fall of 2020. Do we do we really have to rewind back to 2020, Michael? <laughs> no, no, not literally. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> We're going to take something good from the fall of 2020, though, and bring it forward to now. Yes, yes. We, we had our virtual edition of Industry, the product conference back then, and Christian actually gave one of the highest rated keynote talks of the entire conference. In today's episode, we're going to relive some of the best parts of that keynote talk. The talk is all about product and, well, how product is hard, right? I think most of us know that by now. If not, it's a lesson you'll probably learn soon. And how even though we live in a world where we have loads of resources ahead of us, whether it's certifications, universities launching their own programs, even communities like Product Collective and the conferences like Industry, there are so many people in product that still make big mistakes today. Yeah, and I'm I'm over here raising my hand as, <laughs> as one of them. I mean, we, we probably all are those people that make mistakes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But Look, whether you're a product person or an entrepreneur or, or honestly just anybody working inside of a software company, you're probably going to relate to a lot of this talk. So why don't we dive right in? It was almost a decade ago when I first heard Marty Kagan say product is had. Somewhere I felt in that time he would have fixed all of the issues. But I often joke with product teams today that if product is not had, you're not doing it right. And in 2020... Believe me, product is still very hard. Today, I want to talk about some of the common problems I still see teams deal with. These are in no particular order or parity, but I'm hoping to select a few process issues, a few people-related issues 
and a few cultural issues that may resonate with you all. In working and advising dozens of teams over the years, I typically ask the same question. What are the top challenges you face as a product organization? Now, regardless of company, regardless of what you're working on, regardless of where you're doing it, most people face similar issues. I need more resources. I'm struggling with communication and collaboration, excessive meetings, stakeholder management, misalignment, conflicting priorities, business cases, roadmap issues. So I meet with many companies and they boast to me and say, well, Christian, we are agile. Oh, wow. Or maybe we've just gone through an agile transformation. I said, well, well, do tell me more. And so they tell the story of their transformation. And I say, well, what does it mean to be agile? They say, well, what does it mean? What do you mean? I say, well, you said you're agile. What does it mean to be agile? Well, Christian, um, we do uh, sprint planning. Oh, okay. We do a uh, backlog grooming. Oh, hold up, I know what you mean. We walk in two week sprints or two week iterations. Ah, okay. And then we do retrospectives and then we go on and, uh, and we do a sprint review. So you do all of the ceremonies. Yes, yes, we do all of the ceremonies. Excellent. I'm gonna say, well, where did you learn to be agile? Say, so what do you mean? Well, let's go Google agile. And we go and we Google agile and we discover something called the Agile Manifesto. What is this? Well, I said, this is a bunch of engineers that went to a ski resort and they didn't ski. And this is what they came up with. I said, well, well what is in this? Well, it, it says individual and interactions over process and tools. Interesting. It says working software over comprehensive documentation, responding to change rather than following a plan. They're like, well, is this it? I'm like, yes, this is where this Agile thing came from. You see, it seems like you focused a whole lot on doing agile than being agile. See, agility is really about your organization's ability to respond to changes in your marketplace or your industry quickly. But it seems like we focus more on the process and the ceremonies. Well, there's also the unfortunate truth that your agile is probably still waterfall. If you walk in two-week sprints, but still deliver in Big Bang, once a year, twice a year, four times a year, you are waterfall. If the first time your engineers are still seeing what, are seeing what they're going to build in sprint planning, you are waterfall. Do you have a waterfall discovery process and an agile delivery process? You are waterfall. You are clearly waterfall if any of these three things are true. One, you still gather requirements, which drives design, which drives code. You're working in handoffs. You're still waterfall if the result of your work is an output, delivery versus not delivery, right? At the end, you get an output, a future, a project, as opposed to a business result. You're still waterfall if all of your risk happens at the end. We work on this project and then we do an A-B test at the end and we discover if customers like it or not. Or if we tackle all the risk of discovery, we use our engineers to do discovery about if people want this or not. The whole premise of discovery and delivery, build the right product versus building the product right. Build the right product instead of just building the product right. That's a 
big, big distinction Christian makes here. And it may be what sets apart companies that say they're building using an agile process versus those that are actually building using an agile process. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, pretty much anyone in tech knows, at least on the software side of things, an agile process of some sort it's just table stakes, right? Like we, we all get that the waterfall ways, those are antiquated, you know, where you plan the whole product process from the very beginning and step-by-step, step, you just kind of check off the boxes and complete the tasks until product is done, right? Well, that's just not the way that high growth, fast moving software companies actually work today. I mean, really, product is never done, is it? No, not at all. <laughs> Most people probably can tell you the flaws in that process. You spend all of that time going through each step, but then at the end of the entire process, which is a big software product, who knows, maybe it takes several months, maybe more, and then you find out that the product you built, it doesn't resonate with customers, or the market shifted or changed, and your company now has different priorities. Yeah, that's the issue with waterfall, as opposed to some form of an agile process where there are much shorter work cycles. Maybe it's the two-week sprints, for instance. Uh, you know, you want feedback from customers throughout the process so that if there are necessary changes to be made, well, you could make those changes now rather than wait until the end of the process. The thing is, many people who say they have an agile process really don't. It, it ends up that it's actually a form of that old waterfall process. It's just kind of agile in disguise. There's another big mistake that Christian has noticed, one that contributes to the reason that building software products is still so hard today. Do tell. Well, it has to do with the discovery phase, or rather the problem is that some companies actually have a discovery phase. I'll let Christian explain. A surprising interesting phenomenon is teams doing discovery in delivery. You are learning and uncovering what you need while you are doing it. We have often argued that it's the job of the modern product team to tackle the risk of value, usability, feasibility, and viability before a single line of production code is ever written. Ed Cadmill of Pixar will say discovery by definition means you don't know the answer when you start. We have to address those questions upfront. Does it work for our business? Are our stakeholders going to support it? That's the discovery question. Well, we do discovery here. We love discovery. We, we, in many companies, we have healthy discovery disciplines now. You know, discovery discipline, how do you decide what to do? The rapid test and learn process to discover a solution to a problem. Now, in many of the companies that have what they consider healthy discovery disciplines, Everybody that is not in product hates discovery because it's like a crazy process. It's like an ambiguous black hole. It's an unnatural disaster to them. Oh, there goes the product team. They are going to do discovery. It's going to take forever. You see, as such, in many environments, discovery tends to fail because you see many anti-patterns, like who is participating in discovery? Just the product manager and the engineer, but not the the designer or the designer and the product manager and not the engineer? How much time are you spending on discovery? Discovery is a day job, not a phase, not a big bang project. I want to be clear, if you can answer these four questions, will they buy it? Can they use it? You know, what do we need to build it? If you can answer these four questions with evidence and describe what we're going to build, we are done with discovery. 
product managers and designers, that's your full-time job. How are you getting insights from customers, from data? How many ideas are you killing and changing? Are you just trying to confirm what you already believe? Or are you trying to validate an idea and discover a solution? Or we can't do discovery because we're in a highly regulated environment. Compliance and legal won't have it. Actually, you need more discovery in those environments because you need to tackle those risks up front. Get out of your own way. It's a mindset. How quickly and how inexpensively can I answer these questions? So if you think of discovery as a phase in your process, well, you might be doing it wrong. Yeah, because discovery is just part of your job. It's not a process. Discovery isn't something that just at the beginning you do. It ought to be part of every single day of your work, whether you're in a highly regulated industry or you're launching a no-code web application for small businesses, it shouldn't matter. All right, let's take a short break here. We'll be right back to hear from our sponsors. Before the break, we were being educated by Christian Idioti, a partner at the Silicon Valley Product Group, as he gave this keynote talk back at the virtual edition of Industry the Product Conference back in 2020. In this talk, Christian talks about, despite all the new developments in access to education, programming, communities, it's still really, really hard to build great software products. Yeah, and we've been hearing about the mistakes that people often make, like thinking that they're using an agile process when really they're falling back into the old waterfall traps and treating discovery as a phase in the process, not something that's just baked into your everyday work. But now let's focus less on process and more on the people. People. Yeah, so because as Christian sees it, so often problems that companies experience, well, they're actually people problems. And sometimes managers just don't get that. I have always believed that every problem is a people problem. A discouraging observation I have is that managers of product people, product managers, design, engineering managers, they, they feel like we have smart and creative people, driven people. They don't need coaching. They don't need to be managed. They don't need to get to the next, le the next level. We don't need to equip them for success. I need to be clear about this. The number one role for the product manager, the manager of product managers or the manager of product people is to coach your employees to competency and then to potential, to support them to focus on their personal and professional growth, to guide you to what's important and to make sure you're equipped for success in the role. You cannot gain mastery by avoiding this. Product managers, your boss probably sucks because they don't understand the importance of equipping you to competency and to your potential. They have to do the work of coaching you. You're not gonna get better at product without practicing. On the other end, Many businesses have evolved from using technology to serve the business to using technology to serve the customer. This means the role of product management has to also evolve. You see, when you serve the business, maybe you need a project manager to manage the costs and the time and the scope. When you serve the business, maybe you need a business analyst to gather requirements from the business you're serving. Maybe when you move to Agile, you need a product owner because you now need a backlog administrator, somebody to prioritize the list of tasks that your engineers have to do. But this is not the job of the modern product manager. The job of the modern product manager in organizations, we need somebody 
with a deep knowledge of the users and customers, a deep knowledge of the data, a deep knowledge of the industry, a deep knowledge of the products. We need someone with those deep understanding to make a decision on what we do to ensure that we are working on the most meaningful thing right now. In the absence of this, you may have no product manager or a bad product manager. This makes product very difficult. Now, what if it, even in cases when we do, we end up with another reality check. Our product people, firefighters, or are they physicians? Do they run around putting up fires or do they take time to diagnose problems and come up with solutions and therapies to those? Are you reactive or are you proactive? Are you constantly focused on what's urgent or what's important? Do you actually create work or does work just come to you? Do you have time to think about the solutions to problems and come up with the best solution or do you just respond to issues? Do you move from fire to fire? Or do you truly diagnose problems and discover solutions to them? I know some people tell me, well, we've moved from firefighting, we are now doctors, but we are emergency room doctors. We want our product people with strategic context empowered to solve problems for our customers in a way that works for our business. So ideally, no firefighters, no emergency room doctors. It seems like in those cases, you're just playing defense. We all want to be proactive, though. And there's another people-related problem, maybe even bigger than that. It's a big cultural problem. The problem being? A culture where everything is important. <laughs> yes, everything is important. I like to call it shiny object syndrome. <laughs> it's definitely a big problem and a big contributor to why product isn't so simple these days. Let's go back to Christian for more on this. Everything is important here. When was the last time someone came to you and said, I want you to build future X, but I need it three years from now. Take all the time you need. No, instead, not only do they tell you they want it now, they say, well, did you see this other opportunity? It's huge. If we build this future, I will sell $10 million dollars. But you said that yesterday about this other future. Yes, yes, yes. That too. Build them all. And the second you build it, they complain about what other future is missing and what else they don't have. Well, this was then, or that was then, this is now. I want it and I want all of the things. We struggle because of the absence of good strategic context, a compelling vision, a good product strategy clear priorities. In many ways, good context comes through a product strategy, which provides us with focus and tells us much about what is important right now. Right? Michael Potter, Harvard Business School, will argue the essence of strategy is choosing what not to do. See, focus does not mean narrowing down the list of our top 50 priorities or prioritizing a list of things to do. It means identifying a few, maybe one to three major points of leverage for our business. The product strategy you know, is based more on achieving a set of key milestones in some logical and important order. It allows us to focus 
on what's important right now. We're hitting on a lot of these classic product problems here. You entrepreneurs and software product people out there, I'm wondering if your heads are nodding out there. <laughs> I bet they are. I mean, I don't know. My neck is starting to hurt on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, next up, Christian talks about maybe the number one enemy of product people. Can you guess what it is, Michael? Um, an overbearing CEO who won't let go of making product decisions. Oh, that's a juicy one. I've been there before, but no, <laughs> it's not that one. Time has always and still is probably the biggest enemy of the product manager. Email, whoa, Slack, stand-ups, update meetings, status meetings, one-on-one -on -one meetings, planning meetings, prioritization meetings, stakeholder meetings, meetings to plan meetings. When do you have the time to actually do the work of defining the problems well and discovering and validating the solutions collaboratively? Product managers, you need like four hours a day. Not time on Slack, not time on email. I'm talking about time with like your phone turned off or an airplane mode, where you're meeting with your engineer, your designer, where you're thinking about solutions, you're testing with customers. You're truly trying to translate the understanding of the problem and ensure that your solution is the most meaningful to it. We spend our time in project management than in product management. I have always seen meetings as the drug of choice for the modern product organization. You can say no to meetings. Get past the fact that you need to be there. Tackle your four hours of meaningful product work up front if you can, and then you can have time for meetings. Okay, let's take a quick break here and we'll come back. Uh, we'll take it home with a lot of things we ought to all stop doing right now. And maybe what we can do to make life a little easier. Before the break, we started to let Christian Idioti, friend of Rocketship and partner at Silicon Valley Product Group, break down some of the things that make building software products hard these days. This is all from his keynote talk at the virtual edition of Industry, the product conference back in 2020. And to close things out, he calls attention to some things that we really ought to stop doing when we're building software products. Back to Christian. Finally, I want to wrap up with a magical list of some of the things I believe you can live without. I promise you, you can live without these things. Stop congratulating yourselves and appreciating the work that you do when you do those things, right? Roadmaps, false promises and false commitments. Most of the things on our roadmap will fail. Move to a transitional roadmap. Pick up your roadmap today, annotate it with meetings and outcomes, right? Meetings, you don't need to be there. No, really, you don't need to be at every meeting. Culturally, maybe move to a, a written narrative, right? Write down what you want to express and have people read it. Change your culture and your habits around meetings. Tools, new product managers, they love tools. A roadmap tool, an OKR tool, a collaboration tool, a work management tool, a prioritization tool. Man, all of these are not substitutes for true collaboration or for real customer empathy or for spending time with your stakeholders. Documentation and presentation. We don't mind tools or, or meetings or roadmaps, but we sure love our PowerPoint. We sure love our, our uh, user stories, our confluence pages. If I speak authentically with trust, if I build relationships, I don't need to do all of these presentations. And then a good use of a written narrative. Good for you, good for them. MVPs, seriously. 
How many people do a so-called MVP and never revisit it? How many people MVPs are actually minimum? Change your mindset of minimum viable product to minimum viable prototype. An MVP is an experiment, not an actual product. If it takes you more than two sprints, there are things like a four-hour MVP, a four-day MVP. If it takes longer than that, it's a half-big product. You can do without it. Prioritization. This is the magical question I get from everyone now. Is there a magic matrix, a magic rubric, a template, a worksheet, some magic criteria? I'll give you an, an alternative. How about deep customer insights, data, a compelling vision, a well-articulated strategy, clear objectives that tell us what's important and what's important right now. Your product strategy helps us to decide which problems to solve. The team objectives assigns those problems to product teams. Product discovery helps us to discover a solution and product delivery builds that solution to the marketplace. Hopefully, this entire talk has hit home with you. I know it does for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely for me too. But what now? If the product has gotten more and more developed and we're still making these mistakes, still doing all of these things, product is still hard. Is there any hope for things getting better, Mike? Well, you know me. I'm an optimist, so I definitely <laughs> think so. But, but we do have to take action and make things better. We can't just do the things the way that we've always done them. That's not going to change anything. Fair enough, right? So a few ways to do this, a few ideas on how you can do things differently. First off, admitting you've done things wrong is probably the first step. And guess what? That's okay. Because pretty much everyone is guilty of doing the things that have been discussed today. But we can't change until we identify the areas we need to improve. Yeah, then then make a plan to actually change. And, and don't try to tackle it all at one time. I mean, some of these improvements, they require cultural shifts within your organization. I mean, if you're finding that your organization is actually using a waterfall process in disguise of Agile, well... Unfortunately, that's not just a switch you can flip, but you can start having the hard conversations internally in your organization that definitely need to happen if change is going to take place. And maybe one more piece of advice on how to shift things, talk to other people. Find your community of product people out there. This can even be inside of your own organization. Take the time to build up those relationships. Yeah, and, and it could be externally too with other people that do the same kind of work that you do. I mean, obviously we have product collective community. There's the dribble community if you're in the design world. But look, there's lots of other communities. You can find all sorts of places where there's people just like you going through the same challenges that you are every single day. Take advantage of that. Of course, there's a lot more we can all be doing. This is a start. And sometimes just making a start is the hardest part of making a big change. Well, hey, that wraps up class for today. Uh, <laughs> we have a couple more bonus episodes coming up on rocketship.fm. So we'll see you next week. Same time, same place. For Mike Belsito, this is Michael Saka with rocketship.fm. So long. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. 
Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.